Hello everybody and welcome to the Mirror Football World Cup Daily Podcast brought to you in association with Betbright. Um, the second day of the World Cup is done. It turned out to be an absolute thriller simply because of the game between Portugal and Spain which was an absolute humdinger of a tie. Uh, the two games before it, the Egypt-Uruguay game and Morocco-Iran, uh, let's, let's forget about them. Uh, forget they ever happened, they were not good games of football. Uh, but we're going to look back at Portugal and Spain. Uh, I'm Aaron Flanagan to do so, joined right now by James Whaling. James, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Uh, as I say, we're going to look back on this game briefly. Now we're also going to speak to John Cross very shortly on this podcast, talk ahead to the France game at the weekend, also going to talk England, obviously England's game against Tunisia getting closer. Uh, but for now, we'll talk about uh, Spain and Portugal. And, and James, what a game of football! Yeah, I, I think probably one of the one of the best games of football you could ever wish to see at any level. Never mind at the World Cup. And, and even though we're only a couple of days in, I felt like we needed that. We, we we needed something to get us going. Obviously, the Russia game was a bit a bit of a blowout, and then the two games, as you mentioned today, both had last minute winners. But in all honesty, they were pretty poor games of football. So. Uh, we we needed something to sort of set the World Cup cup alight, and and boy did we get it. Yeah, so Cristiano, I know you can always rely on him, can't you? Chris- yeah, I mean, what a performance! Like he's the, the the debate will rage on forever and always about who who's the best player uh, of this current generation, and you know he he's again staked his claim to, to to take that title. He he was incredible. You know, without him, Portugal would have been soundly beaten in that game. He literally dragged them through it and. You know, he finally scored a free kick. It's been so long. You know, he carries on taking him, smashing him into the wall. And then when his country needs him, a free kick right at the death. Curls it beautifully into the top corner. It's as good a strike as you could mm. wish to see. Yeah, it reminded me very much of that, that Portsmouth free kick. Obviously, Portsmouth get the free kick up for United yeah. against Portsmouth at Old Trafford. Where it was a similar sort of position. But the, the wall, by the way, was no no way was it 10 yards back. And he was still quite close. And he managed to get it up. He got it up really high and down top corner. This is just... Absolutely brilliant. Um, I've not watched the game with you guys. I, I wasn't in the office for the game, and but the people I were with, we basically had a discussion, and we kind of went. We all still agree that Lionel Messi is probably the best player of all time, but Ronaldo's now given us more moments. Yeah, far far, far more m- moments to remember, hasn't he? I agree. I think as a technical footballer, Messi Messi's brilliant and, and unmatched, not only in this generation but probably probably of all time. But you know, when when if Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo were to finish their respective careers today, I think it'd be Ronaldo that would look back on his with more fondness, both both for club and country, obviously. Lionel Real Madrid's three successive European Cups. He had his crowning moment with Portugal two years ago, or we thought he had his crowning moment with Portugal two yeah. years ago. Who's to say he's not going to uh, he's not going to top that this summer? No, absolutely. Um, in Spain, um, I was watching them earlier in that game, and I was thinking. When they had the character to bring it back twice, and obviously a phenomenal strike, uh, obviously to put them at 3-2 ahead, uh, the volley, but I was looking at them and I was thinking, these are potential tournament winners, the way they were playing and stuff, but they've not got the job done against a, a Portugal team who, let's be honest, are probably not quite as strong as they were two years ago when, when they won the Euros. No, and I think that, you know, again, that's probably mostly down to Ronaldo. If, if, you, if you break that down into... Um, break that game down into small pieces. I think Spain were the better side over the course of over the course of the ninety minutes, despite going behind and obviously being pegged back at the end. Um, I thought Isco was sensational, brilliant in midfield, great pulled, talent. Pulled the strings. Diego Costa, his usual non, uh, you know, his usual his usual self up front. Um, just an absolute menace. You know, Pepe got put on his backside for the first goal, and then you know he does what he does for the second goal, gets into a good area and, and finishes. So. I still think Spain, you know, they've obviously had a, a tumultuous 
sort of run up to the World Cup sacking their manager just two days before they started playing. Um, but you know, I think I think they showed signs there that they can be contenders. And let's not forget, it's very early in the piece. They lost to Switzerland, didn't they? In the group stage when they went on to win it eight years ago. So yeah, no, so you can't really judge anything just yet. Um, but we're going to get a look at all the other you know, favourites of the tournament, uh, especially tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, I say tomorrow. This podcast has been released on Saturday morning, so today. Uh, one of which being France. Uh, France are going to play against uh, Australia in their opening game. Um, should be an absolute breeze for France, we imagine, this one. France, very much a... I, I think, across the whole 23 players, the, the strongest team on paper at this tournament. Yeah, you'd think they'd pick up three points. Australia, probably one of the weaker sides in the tournament. And France, obviously, you know, you only have to look at the bookies' odds there. They're right up there, and, and, and rightly so, given the talent at their disposal. Uh, anything less than three points would be a little bit of a disaster for France. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't really see any other result. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the odds for that game with Betbright, uh, France are, are 1-4 to four on um, to, to win the game. I, I don't think there's any surprise there. 10-1 to one on Australia, if you're really uh, you know, fancying an upset. Uh, the the Bright bundle, uh, obviously Betbright's special bet of the game, is Pogba to be scored and to be carded. 16-1 uh, to one on that. Um, I talked a little earlier in the week to our chief football writer, John Cross, uh, about France and about Paul Pogba. Here's what he had to say. John Cross, really appreciate you joining us on the Mirror Football Podcast once again. Uh, We're speaking now ahead of France's first game of the tournament. They're going to take on Australia uh, Saturday morning, 11am UK time. Uh, John, uh, in our big debate that we do every week on 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 the Mirror's website, you tipped in this past week... France as your favourite team to win. Um, however, I don't know. I, I, I believe it's a, a, a bit of a change of mind late on with that one. Is it? Yeah, I have unashamedly switched horses because I think we did something similar about a month ago and uh, showing absolutely no consistency or loyalty whatsoever. I went for Germany then, just because I, I, I felt that I feel that Germany, you know, they've got so much experience, so much quality. I mean. You know, obviously the holders and a wonderful, wonderful team, wonderful players. But I just, it's really weird, but it's sort of kind of an almost instinctive feeling when I looked at the German squad last week. I'm not, you know, saying it's it's, it's without doubt one of the best um, at the tournament. You know, people will argue, certain people will argue it's the best. But it wasn't a squad that really inspired me. And I just looked at the French squad by comparison. And it's got so many options, and so kind of a di- I did switch horses really. I just think that the sort of the French have got unbelievable quality, you know, from the goalkeeper, from defence, um, midfield options, which could allow them to play different ways, different systems. Although I must say that Deschamps has got to be sort of kind of I think clear in his mind in which way he wants to play, because I always felt that in the Euros he didn't quite decide whether he should play with a four or with a three really, and in midfield particularly, and, and, and that kind of affected the whole team, really, and the balance of the team. And then as for the strikers, I mean, Griezmann and Mbappe, I mean, it's just incredible. And then they've got options from the bench, um, you know, with Giroud, and it's just, they've got options all over the pitch, and it's such an exciting squad, it's such an exciting group of players. It feels like that they have got the best squad, I think, by some distance of any team at the tournament, for me, the question is just whether it will kind of, you know, mould itself into the best starting eleven. Yeah, so yeah, obviously in the France team as well, there's Paul Pogba, who we've spoken about loads and loads in the British press. 
uh, over the past season, obviously because of his performances for Manchester United, or, or, or some might say performances in inverted commas, um, given, <laughs> given that he's, he very much seems to disappear on occasions. Uh, do you very much expect the World Cup environment is somewhere where he could thrive, or somewhere where he can just focus on his football and, and showcase exactly what Paul Pogba can do? Well, I must say, I've always been a Pogba fan. I, I, I have to say that there's certain times when you think, blimey, you know, Man United getting the best out of Paul Pogba, and particularly Jose Mourinho, you know, is he is he getting the best out of him? What is he and what is he in the Man United team? And I just think that sometimes Pogba, you know, as we've seen in some French games, that basically I think when the shackles are off, and he's given a more defined role, almost a free role, um, that then he can sort of absolutely monster midfields and really take the game by the scruff of the neck. And I just think that rather like we saw with Rashford last week with with England, sometimes I think basically a player can get so frustrated that when they are finally let off the leash, they have such a point to prove. And I think that that could be Pogba's, you know, sort of biggest weapon. Rather like with Rashford, he was just absolutely fabulous in that game for England against Costa Rica with so much to show and so much to prove. I just think that Pogba might might react the same. There's no doubt in my mind that Pogba is a world-class player, an absolutely unbelievable midfield talent, powerhouse, skillful, strong, can absolutely blitz through midfields and race forward, score goals. I just think, you know, the French basically, I think, can get the best out of him, maybe in a way that Jose Mourinho can't for Man United. Yeah, so yeah, from his point of view, I hope that is possible. Uh, now moving on, uh, obviously England are just a couple of days away from starting their tournament at this point. They're going to take on Tunisia in their opening game. Uh, Tunisia, um, very resilient against Spain in their final friendly, only went down 1-0 uh, late on. Um, are these sort of resilient teams kind of what England have prepared for? Do you, do you feel, obviously, playing against Costa Rica, who obviously very much had backs to the wall, Nigeria... Um, well, I mean, tried to defend in the first half and of that friendly, as good as England were. Um, is this what England have are more ready for now than maybe other tournaments in years gone by, do you reckon, John? Yeah, possibly. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think England managers always, before tournaments, try to get sort of uh, opponents to mirror what they might face. I guess Costa Rica was more Panama and Nigeria more... Tunisia, because I think that having watched that game that, that you sort of mentioned there, Tunisia's final, final warm-up game, as I sort of did, sort of, you know, to, to know what England might expect, incredibly well organised. Um, they certainly don't carry as much threat as, as, as sort of Nigeria. And they're not particularly ambitious. They're happy to soak up, you know, and, and let sort of opponents like Spain, obviously, have a lot of possession and sit back and then play on the counter-attack. They're incredibly physical. They're very well organised. And I just think it's one of those classic games that we've become all too familiar with for England down the years, sort of kind of covering tournaments, where it might be a long, arduous test, a war of attrition, um, in which England, the only point in the game is trying to find a way through. Because once they, 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 you know, they score, hopefully they go on to win the game. But I do think finding a way through Tunisia, who look very baffled, hardened and, and tough to break down, I think will be England's biggest challenge. But, you know, I, I do think that that's why perhaps Southgate will, will overload with attacking midfield players, you know, ambitious midfield players, and, and maybe tweak it against Belgium. But I do think you've got to find some inspiration from somewhere to, to get some pace and some width 
to, to stand any chance of breaking down Tunisia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think anyone's asked you yet, anyway, or not on, definitely not on this podcast, or maybe not in one of our big debate pieces that we do on Mirror Football. Um, but how far do you actually think England are going to go this summer? Is there is there a point where you think it'll be too much, or 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 do England have the potential to maybe exceed expectations this year? Um, I think in my optimistic moments, I think they'll reach the quarterfinals. I think in my pessimistic moments, <laughs> the most struggle will get out of the group. No, I do think that Blimey they've got to get out of the group this time. Um, but I do think that uh, mapping it out and getting carried away and rather optimistic and far too excited, like I always said that I never would again. I just think if you look at it, the likelihood is that, that sort of England could play uh, Colombia or Poland up next, I would argue, even if they win the group or, or finish second, which I have to say would be far more likely because Belgium are a better team, better players than England. And then it just gives you a chance, I think, to, to get, to the quarterfinals and from the quarterfinals I mean there's anything can happen but again the likelihood is that they would meet uh, Germany or Brazil and I think that that would be their sort of kind of you know sort of crossing point really I, I, I just think they're making nice progress under Southgate and sort of in speaking to the sort of the FA Chief Executive Martin Glenn last week he was making it clear there's no sort of kind of hard and fast rules sort of targets but it's about time England won a knockout game. I mean, it's just incredible that England just haven't won a knockout game now in tournament football, um, or I should say in a World Cup since 2006, um, when they obviously reached the quarterfinals. But, you know, they just haven't... They're really disappointed on that sort of stage. And I think that they've been given this opportunity and a platform with that group to progress. And if they can get confidence from that, then I do think they are capable of, of, of knocking out the, the, the likely last 16 opponents. Yeah. Uh, did, would you say quarterfinals would be a success, given, obviously, like you mentioned, the kind of not won a, a knockout game for, for so many years? Is, is quarters a class as a successful World Cup? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I reckon in, in 2006, during the Svengor and Eriksson era, it, it, was, it was, you know, sort of damning... Um, criticism with, with England because, you know, we all came away from that tournament saying we're a quarter-final team no more, as if that was the end of the world, basically. And now what we wouldn't give to, to reach a quarter-final. So, it, it, you know, things have changed. Yeah, I, I think that quarter-final would represent some success and sat satisfaction rather than success for, for Gareth Southgate, because I don't think that you can be, you know, kind of call it success as such, but I think it would be satisfactory progress. I think, personally, anything less, no matter how it happens, would be deemed as something of a disappointment, even though I, I'm fully on board and think that basically Southgate is making far greater progress than I thought he, he, he was capable of doing, largely because of the squad at his disposal. But, I, you know, I, I do think now, last, last 16 would be good, but I still think if England came home after the last 16 phase, the majority of people in the country say, oh, it's not very good again, you know, still can't win a knockout game. So I think to show real signs of progress, I think they must reach the quarterfinals. Uh, I completely agree. I, I like that. Sat satisfaction, um, but not success. I, I, I like that. I think that's a, the right way to go. I'd definitely be satisfied, I think, with the quarterfinals. Uh, but anyway, yeah, John. I, I think it would be good. I think that would be good. 
Yeah, lovely. Uh, John, really appreciate your time as ever, and uh, we look forward to catching up uh, later in the tournament. Uh, thank you once again. No problem. Look forward to it. John Cross there joining us on the Mirror Football Podcast. Really good to hear from him. Obviously now out there in Russia, he's going to be covering every England game, so we're going to be hearing a lot more from John uh, across the tournament. Uh, very quickly before we go, obviously there's, there's four games on, on, on Saturday uh, or today, uh, so we'll, um, we want to just very briefly run through them. Uh, Argentina versus Iceland. For me, a, a really intriguing game because Iceland were the surprise package at the European Championships two years ago. Argentina have had... I mean, it's a turbulent time over the past few years. They've um, obviously changed everything they've done, only just scraped through qualifying. Uh, but I mean, James, what do, what do you expect from Argentina? Yeah, yeah I agree. You know, it's, it's a bit of a. It seems seems strange to say this about Argentina, but they're a bit of an unknown package, aren't they? We don't really know what side's going to turn up. They had, um, as you say, a real turbulent run up to the World Cup. Obviously, there's there's murmurs of disharmony in the camp with Mauro Icardi not being involved despite his form at club level. Uh, and then they had their, their friendly just a week before the tournament cancelled at the last minute, so their preparation hasn't been great. You know, they've still got the little man up front who, if he's on his if he's on his game, then Argentina will win that game, no trouble. Look, as well as Messi, they've got a plethora of, of other attacking talent there. Angel Di Maria, Sergio Aguero, these sorts of players. You'd expect them to come through, but, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get with them. No, absolutely. Iceland, very much intriguing as well. I'm, I'm, I'm really wondering whether they can uh, kind of re- kind of have the same spirit that they did uh, two years ago at the Euros. But at the same time, they won their qualifying group. They, yeah. they beat Croatia, who are in that group for this World Cup. They beat them and they finished above them. And interesting enough, you can get 10-1 to 1 on Iceland with Bet Bright um, just to win this game against Argentina, which I think is... Uh, I mean, might, might be a bit of value there. 10-1. to 1. I, I don't think they're 10-1... to 1 worse than Argentina yeah probably not but I, you know, I still can't see them winning the game if I'm honest and if I never see an Icelandic thunderclap for the rest of my life I will be perfectly happy <laughs> uh, says the huge England fan who obviously got very annoyed about <laughs> Icelandic thunderclaps um, a couple of years ago um, very quickly say so we've only got one minute left uh, just quickly on this podcast um, Croatia against Nigeria and Peru against Denmark are the other two games. Uh, how do you see those two going? Can, can I mean, can we expect fireworks, or are these just going to be run of the mill? Well, I think games? Peru were quite an intriguing team. I think a lot of a lot of people are sort of liking the way they're going about uh, their football and, and and their philosophy and things like that. They've so, got, got the talisman back as well in Paulo Guerrero. Yeah, Obviously, have, he was supposed yeah. to have a, a drug span. So I think uh, pretty, I'm quite looking forward to watching see how see how they go. But I think that Peru Denmark game, you know, that's a huge game for both teams, isn't it? If they've got if they've got aspirations of going through, they need to win it. So you know, we we could get a we could get an unexpected classic there. And then uh, in the evening, you know, I wasn't impressed with Nigeria when when they played England. I'll be honest. Even though they they sort of turned it around a little bit second half, that first half the defensive frailties were there to be there for all to see. And you know, I'd, I'd expect Croatia to to pick up a win there. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Say so odds with Betbright on those games: uh, Peru twenty three to ten, uh, Denmark eleven to eight uh, to win there. So listen, they can't call it basically. Yep. Um, the interesting bright bundle bet is uh, Denmark to get five or more corners and Denmark to score in the game. Get six to five on that, which uh, I quite like. I think a team getting five corners a game is is, is quite reasonable. Uh, on the Croatia Nigeria game, four to five Croatia, uh, Nigeria four to one. Um, but yeah, no, this is the, that'll do. Is it's going to be a stacked day of football. Uh, we will be back tomorrow on the Mirror Football Daily World Cup podcast, brought to you in association with Betbright, uh, with all the happenings that, that go on. So until then, enjoy the weekend's football, and uh, we will see you tomorrow.